But when you see all of these reports in one place, and especially, and you know, I've talked about this, the 360 degree attack on human reproduction in our most recent report by Dr. Robert Chandler that shows that there's a 20% drop in live births worldwide. Many people looking at government data are reaching the same conclusions. And in our Pfizer documents reports, we show the mechanism that basically brief, very briefly to recap, these lipid nanoparticles traverse the placenta, they accumulate in the ovaries, they damage the the testes of unborn baby boys, um, and uh, and they they also infiltrate the breast milk. So it's like this complete, um, and even in the Pfizer documents, 85% of the pregnancies were lost, spontaneous abortion and miscarriage. So the point is in the Pfizer documents, this is all fully intended. These experiments were fully directed at the reproductive capacity of the human species. There's no other conclusion. They would sacrifice the rats. This is supposed to be for a respiratory virus and analyze their reproductive uh, organ cells, right? They they have in the Pfizer documents, 20 different names for ruining your menstrual cycle. Like they per knew perfectly well that this was going to lead to a, a suppression of human ability to reproduce. And, and Rochelle Walensky knew, and the head of the FDA knew, and the White House knew. Um, there, this is, there's no way around that. It's not even, I'm not, I'm not interpreting. It's right there in the Pfizer documents. But going back to your question about evil, as, and, and then, you know, you, you see these institutions like the American Colleges of Obstetrics and Gynecology took millions of dollars from Pfizer, you know, to, engage in something they never do, which is encourage pregnant women to take this vaccine. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Hey, folks, welcome back. I am thrilled to have as my guest, Naomi Wolf. Naomi, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be speaking with you again. Um, certain people are, uh, many people are difficult to sum up. Uh, I will remind people that you and I were in the same class at Yale, class of, uh, I think I was in the class of 84, but uh, that's, uh, that couldn't be. That would make us way older than we know that we are. <laughs> but uh, we were in the same class uh, at Yale. Uh, you are now the author of many, many best-selling books, including most recently and unfortunately, most importantly, The Bodies of Others, which we've discussed. You're the CEO of Daily Clout. Um, I want to talk to you about everything that you're talking about, uh, uh, Substack and wherever you're writing, and uh, but probably maybe start with something that you wrote about not very long ago that you... Uh, you visited Yale University uh, and uh, experienced the weirdness of that. I don't know. Can you frame that for, for my audience, what happened that day? Sure. So, um, gosh, Yale University has mandated on its poor students uh, that they must, even if they've had COVID, even if they have had the first and second mRNA injection, that they must have a booster the same booster that was tested on eight mice um, 
prior to returning to campus for spring semester. And the deadline is this month, uh, the 31st. Okay, so, in less so, than two- I, so I have to say, if that were my kid, there is no way I would let them get those injections so they could attend, quote unquote, Yale University. But you're telling me they are mandating this. It is just unbelievable, especially now that even the mainstream media is beginning to report on the adverse effects, like death is reasonably adverse, of these injections. Right. It's even more grotesque than that, Um, Eric. They are not mandating the administration including the president, and they're not mandating the professors, the faculty. And and so these are populations that are arguably, you know, more vulnerable to COVID, if that's even a thing anymore. I mean, it's pretty pretty obvious. What what conceivable reason could they give for mandating this for young, healthy people and not for the administration? I mean, that I really don't get at all. So I'll skip, I'll skip to, to the conclusion of that, because unfortunately I, I, I know, uh, after I went to Yale um, to give a speech, basically disclosing everything I knew from this project of 3,500 experts were overseeing a daily cloud or reading through the Pfizer documents, and they produced 51 reports. And so I was kind of giving the headlines of the damage that Yale was going to do for sure to some of the young women in terms of their fertility, to some of the young men and young women in terms of heart damage um, and other horrific side effects. Um, when I came home, I I did some research, and my husband, Brian O'Shea, who's a private investigator, also did research and found why. Basically, the Chinese Communist Party has managed to buy up Ivy League universities uh, and, and pump money into them in such a way as to be able to jeopardize, injure, and harm the children of America's elite. And this is what I mean. Um, HHS gives more money to Yale than they get from tuition. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's like— Our government, government, HHS, gives more money to Yale than they get from tuition? Correct. And there's a $34 million Pfizer facility in New Haven under the aegis of Yale in which they've got like dozens of beds and they're engaging in— um, kind of not publicly disclosed experiments there as well. But literally, it's it's 40% more money from HHS, including millions that we located for COVID mitigation, you know, emergency COVID treatments for undergraduates took you to a dead link on the Yale website. Um, but the total of HHS money and Bill and Melinda Gates money is more than the total of tuition. It's less than the endowment, but it's more than tuition. So basically, Yale, the argument I made, both in my speech and then having looked up Connecticut law and federal law about human trafficking in my substack about about Yale is that Yale is trafficking its students' bodies because uh, trafficking is it doesn't have to be sexual. You don't have to transport people. It's coercing or defrauding people to do something to provide goods or services that they wouldn't otherwise provide um, if, by law, that they have the legal right to, to deny. And that's exactly what Yale is doing. It's providing the bodies of its students for, um, for pharma 
for HHS. And I'm also going to mention, again, the Chinese Communist Party, because if you look at the money flows from the CCP to universities in the Ivy League, notably Princeton and Penn, um, and look at the Biden-Penn Center, right? Um, then you've also got our, our existential adversaries basically buying influence with the universities and directing university policy, not necessarily in the interest of America's young adults. And again, notably, why are the Ivies mandating these as opposed to so many state universities that have dropped the mandates? And I really do believe it's part of the bigger picture I've spoken to you about, spoken about for many months of this is a bioweapon, this is an attack, we're under attack from the Chinese Communist Party and this kind of globalist cabal that, that wants to break America. And one way you break America is by, you know, preoccupying the elite with the illness and infertility and heart damage of, of their own children. Naomi, this is, um, it's just so difficult, if not impossible to process what we're discussing. This is, you know, again, I always have to leap to the word evil. How else do you, where do, where do you begin to describe this? I mean, a crook, stealing so he can get money. I can understand that. I can say it's wrong, but there are levels of nefariousness. And what we're talking about here is so dark that it doesn't seem humanly comprehensible, really, when when we're talking about the, the, the various levels, the interplay, especially when you're dealing with globalist elites, people that are that have everything most of the world couldn't dream of having, that they would be orchestrating these kinds of things or looking the other way while their friend orchestrates it. Um, the, the idea that China would have that kind of influence in the United States of America, mm-hmm. what, do you, um, what, do you, what do you see coming out of this? Because you're right in the middle of it. Uh, well, you're right that every day when it a new layer of this is revealed. I have the same struggle you do that you've just described. And I literally was just on another podcast and we were, the other podcaster basically brought me the same question. How do we wrap our minds around this? How do we even process it? It's, you know, as the details of this catastrophe, you know, lurch into view, we have to accept that all of our major institutions got corrupted um, and bought off and went along with absolutely existential evil, did it, perpetrated it. Um, I mean, one of the headlines in the Pfizer documents reports, and I did want to mention it's a big it's a big week for us because we've just published them as a book on our website as a PDF. So the whole crime is in one what's, place. And what's that website? Dailyclout.io. Um, dot I-O. Dailyclout.io. Dot Clout with a T. Yeah, clout. Dailyclout.io. Go ahead. Correct. But when you see all of these reports in one place, and especially, and you and I have talked about this, the 360-degree attack on human reproduction in our most recent report by Dr. Robert Chandler that shows that there's a 20% drop in live births worldwide. Many people looking at government data are reaching the same conclusions. And in our Pfizer documents reports, we show the mechanism that basically brief, very briefly to recap, these lipid nanoparticles traverse the placenta, they accumulate in the ovaries, they damage the, the testes of unborn baby boys, um, and uh, and they, they also infiltrate the breast milk. So it's like this complete um, 
And even in the Pfizer documents, 85% of the pregnancies were lost, spontaneous abortion and miscarriage. So the point is in the Pfizer documents, this is all fully intended. These experiments were fully directed at the reproductive capacity of the human species. There's no other conclusion. They would sacrifice the rats. This is supposed to be for a respiratory virus and analyze their reproductive uh, organ cells, right? They, they have in the Pfizer documents, 20 different names for ruining your menstrual cycle. Like they per knew perfectly well that this was going to lead to a, a suppression of human ability to reproduce. And, and Rochelle Walensky knew, and the head of the FDA knew, and the White House knew. Um, there, this is, there's no way around that. It's not even, I'm not, I'm not interpreting. It's right there in the Pfizer documents. But going back to your question about evil, as, and, and then, you know, you, you see these institutions like the American Colleges of Obstetrics and Gynecology took millions of dollars from Pfizer, you know, to engage in something they never do, which is encourage pregnant women to take this vaccine. Hang which on a second, um, Naomi, because there's so much here. We're going to go to a break. Folks, uh, why would even say don't go away? Why would you? We'll be right back. It makes a lot to say. back. I'm talking to Naomi Wolf, uh, CEO of dailyclout.io, author of The Bodies of Others. Um, Naomi, before you continue the, the line of thought, um, so somebody guessing, listening, uh, half listening, it sounds like the global elites who are behind this are convinced that it would be a good thing if we had less, fewer people living on planet Earth and this is a great way to accomplish that. Let's do it. That, that to me yeah, seems like the most mm -hmm. uh, simple way of understanding this. Yeah, I would add two more pieces to that very uh, disturbingly. Of the 42,000 plus adverse events, 36,000 are in the United States. The other largest tranche are... Um, Western Europe in order of political importance, Great Britain, then Germany, France, Italy, Greece, Spain. Uh, and the final tranche, only 7,000 adverse events are from the whole rest of the world combined, meaning that the global elites don't just want to reduce the population randomly. They want to reduce population in the West and Western Europe. But isn't this a little bit like, you know, when... Uh in the French Revolution and in the various communist revolution, they kill uh, the smart people, they kill the priests, they kill uh, the leaders, the intellectuals. That's uh, really sick, but uh, they do it for power because they think we want to wipe out the people who are capable of coming against us, uh, people like Naomi Wolf. We don't want them to give us trouble. We want compliant people, people who don't have the ability uh, to come against us. Right. Well, exactly. I, and I was just going to also say um, they want to avoid paying out of non-existent treasuries retirements. Um, and so they're also killing off the elderly. I mean, the remdesivir protocols, you know, in hospitals, basically the, the euthanasia program in Canada, kill off the sick, kill off the elderly. And lastly, they want 
you know, to your point, look who they mandated. And I've made this point before, but now that we've really seen the horror of the full picture in the Pfizer documents, it really, we have to look at it. As you say, who got mandated? Our soldiers, our sailors, our first responders, our healthcare workers, you know, doctors are dropping like flies in Canada. You know, I think a hundred doctors have died. Healthy young doctors have died in Canada. Um, you know, local uh, in, in in Austria, there have been, I believe, 50 mayors who have died. I mean, if you were, um, if you were yeah. saying nothing else, a hundred healthy young doctors have died in Canada. If nothing else right. were on the table, that is headline news. Nobody's covering that. It should be. And and then to, to bring the circle of evil, you know, completely around so people see, really understand how non-random this is. Uh, my research also found that um, you can, and this is why the vaccine passports are so dangerous, right? Because now they can do this, like with, with digital precision, um, you can make an injection more and less lethal based on room temperature, as well as dosage. For instance, the Moderna uh, active ingredients are... Th- three plus times more um, uh, extensive than those in Pfizer. And within the Pfizer documents, they drop that level, 100 micrograms, due to its reactogenicity. So just give people, you know, the the 100 micrograms instead of 30 micrograms, you will have more lethality. You will have more disability. Um, There's a study that shows that the first injection causes some heart damage. The second injection causes catastrophic heart swelling in a rat study out of Hong Kong in 2021. To me, this is clearly a blueprint for you know, this being a a bioweapon, because the more you inject, again, these lipid nanoparticles don't leave the body, the spike proteins don't leave the body from everything we've seen, you're accumulating and accumulating what's damaging. So over time, if you mandate more and more boosters, more and more injections, you're going to get more and more lethality. But I guess where I was going with people being you know, the, the precision nature of being able to take, have an adversary take out the leaders, the children of the elite, the, the soldiers, the sailors. Um, you know, my research found that China, as I mentioned, has created an MOU with Pfizer, and now they've opened manufacturing plants all over Western Europe and two in the United States. And the IP got transferred to China per the SEC filing in 2021. So now you've got, with vaccine passports and the breaking down of HIPAA, our, our existential adversary that makes war on its own people, organ harvests and forces abortions on its own people, able with precision to say, okay, this batch to this person, this batch to this person, this brand to this person. Um, and and therefore the, the lineaments of a bioweapon are are complete. But as you as you know, it's not just China, it's these these global elites. And now in the short time we have together, I do want to return to your existential question, which we have to talk about, and you're the guy I talk about it with whom I talk about it a lot, which is, and I have to notice that a lot of people are are returning to this, you know, this question of evil. How could this happen, right? That it's, it's not just, it's not just a war by new means. It's a level of evil that, you know, as, as I've said before, with you, to you, is beyond human capability. Well, I've I've given more thought to that, and I'll I'll wade into that if you want me to, because I I think we have to. Well, we only have thirty seconds in this segment, so say a little bit, and then we'll continue for sure. Well, I'm beginning to think that there is really something to the biblical covenant, you know, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, and that God wasn't joking. 
and that we real there really is and i'm you know like fully secularly trained but i'm beginning to think there really is something about we abandon god god doesn't protect us and then these dark forces rush in i think that is as true as uh, one plus one equals two it is fact it's more than fact it's it's baked into the reality of this universe we'll be right back Welcome back. I'm talking to Naomi Wolf. Uh, she is the author most recently of The Bodies of Others. So, Naomi, l- let's wade into this because, uh, you know, you and I, when we were in college, we were, you know, s- standard uh, level secularists, you know, that we've been kind of trained to process the universe along secular lines, which ultimately I think becomes impossible, but it, that, that won't stop most people from, from trying very hard. Um, but y- you're saying that uh, as you've looked into this and you uh, as much or more than anyone has really looked into what we're dealing with. Um, and it's hard uh, if you're honest to escape the idea that there's something here that's more than meets the eye, literally, is something here that's more than can be explainable by natural processes. It, that That's where uh, you were just um, going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is so hard to talk about, but I, I just, I know that, I know that we have to, you just use the phrase baked into the universe that, you know, I'm so sorry, that if um, we abandon God, we lose the protection of God and that that's baked into the universe. You, you are, have been brave enough in your own writing, which I really appreciate to have described a a kind of metaphysical experience you had of the divine, right? An encounter with the divine. Actually, actually many, you know, and you kind of get to a point where you're like, Hey, what am I supposed to do? Like, I know I'm not crazy. I, I'll do my best to communicate this knowing that people, many people will just be hostile, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, you're really giving me a comfort level that I need because you're, you know, in our culture, which is stupid, right? If you have an experience of the divine or the metaphysical, it means you're crazy or it means you're uneducated or superstitious. Well, I haven't talked about it and I will shortly, but I've had a similar experience or not identical to yours, but similar that leads me to be certain that there is no such thing as lying. There's no such thing as cheating. There's no such thing as stealing because the the imprint of our um, being out of alignment with grace, right? It exists in the universe. It doesn't go away. We can't wish it away, right? And so we create the world of darkness by deeds of darkness for ourselves, right? Um, by, by the same token, when we stay aligned with kind of the grace that the universe wants us to to inhabit, um, you know, we create blessings, we generate blessings, we're in alignment with blessings. But drilling down further, you know, as I've said before, there is no way to understand the capture of the whole world's principalities and powers by universal forms of genocidal thought, right? In human terms alone, this is not like normal history. 
in normal history, there are factions, there are egos, people betray each other, you know, people sell out to the allies. It just doesn't proceed in this lockstep. And I keep thinking of that, you know, scene in the New Testament where Jesus casts out demons and the demon says, my name is Legion, right? That sense of like things happening all around the world that it, that are in a kind of creepy, not, you know, non-divine way, identical, you know, and proliferating in, in a kind of um, life force that's not life, right? That's like anti-life. Um, but in other words, when you say life force, you, uh, I mean, the way I would put it, I think, is that we're dealing with personalities. These are not simply forces. These seem to be personalities. And so in the same way that I would say God is a person who has made us in his image as persons, he's not just an energy force. Similarly, <laughs> when we're talking about personal evil, and I mean, I remember for me, it was reading M. Scott Peck's book. He was a Harvard psychiatrist who wrote a book called People of the Lie. And that was the first time I remember when I encountered somebody of that stature dealing with this concept of evil, not just bad or problematic, but actually evil, which is anyway. So please continue. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're, 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 you're adding to, you know, dimension to what I, I'm, I'm struggling to say and, and language is not appropriate or sufficient for it. But basically I keep going back to like, how could this happen? How could this happen? I keep going back to the old Testament and the new Testament and in the old Testament, you know, which I've been noticing and looking at people's faith traditions in America and Western Europe, kind of no one reads the Bible, right? Like there's a lot of like praying and hymn singing, and I'm not singling out any one religion, but in organized religion, notably, we're really not, not in Judaism, not in Christianity. We're, we're rarely told, you know, go sit and read the Bible, go read it, right? Read the primary source kind of blueprint for well, what we're supposed well, there, to do. Of course, there are many uh, churches of which I'm aware that do read the Bible, but the point is, over time, they have become increasingly uncomfortable with parts of it, so they want to turn it into metaphor or just kind of back away uh, and say, well, we'll deal with what we think the gist of it says, but we don't want to actually um, go there because it's embarrassing, you know, to the people that I had lunch with yesterday. And, I, want, I want to talk about that. And it's tough, right? And it's tough. And there's a reason I'm going back to this. I'm not criticizing any religion. I, let me just take a, take take my own faith tradition, right? I'm Jewish. And when we do, you know, we do read sections of the Torah. Orthodox Jews definitely read the Torah. But for me as a ref- conservative Jew, right, most of the focus was on um, on on our kind of ethnic and cultural heritage, right? And not on the Ten Commandments. Because those are hard, right? That you know, monotheism is hard. Like living the way God wants us to live is not like, oh, I sacrificed a goat or, you know, oh, I baptized my child. It's like every single day making the right choices, even though they're really hard. That so point is going back to the old and new testaments. The covenant is very clear in the Old Testament, and it's not about you're my chosen people ethnically. God clearly says, if you, you know, walk with me, have a relationship with me, you know, take care of the orphan, look after the widow, do justice, love mercy, then you will be my people. And then I will bless you. Then I will, you know, you can live in this land in peace. You can have the vine, you can have the fig tree, milk and honey, you know, everyone will live in his own place and not be afraid. I mean, all the beautiful promises are conditional. And then Jesus 
came and that's awesome. And we can talk about that another time after I've brought you up to date with that part of my journey. But, but the point is, I, I find that Jesus was very clear that it's not like, here I am, that's the end. I've taken care of everything. I've redeemed you all, you know, happy ending. And again, Christians don't get mad at me. I am a humble Jewess just trying to understand what's going on. He clearly said, it's not over. You have to keep doing right. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Some people will be cast into like- Hey, this is getting way too religious for me. We're going to have to go to a break. I got to process this. We'll be right back talking to Naomi Wolf. Talking to Naomi Wolf about important things. So, Naomi, you were just saying that um, when when Jesus comes into the world, uh, he doesn't just say, "Okay, we're done. Let's wrap it up." He, I mean, as a Christian, it seems clear to me that he says, "I am the fulfillment of the law. I didn't come here to wipe it out. I came out to. I came here at least, uh, at least um, to to show you." what my father expects of you. So this is not just pro forma stuff, do some religious stuff and you're good. Uh, It's your whole life. But where were you going with that? Go ahead. Well, thank you. Because I I really want to stress, I'm very um, tentative and apprehensive. I don't mean to instruct Christians in any way. I'm just humbly trying to understand. But yes, as I understand him as a, as a, you know, I, I don't mean to speak for Christians, but to me, he's the fulfillment of what Judaism is supposed to be. And I don't fully understand why everyone from my faith tradition is so close to that another conversation. Point is, he to me, he's clearly saying, you know, I'm asking you, God is asking you to to live out the kingdom of heaven in how you treat each other. Like the ultimate law is love and I'm showing you how to do it. Right. But I, I, I'm inviting you and asking you and expecting you to, to take action in certain very clear ways to manifest um, God's kingdom on earth. That's, that's how I read it. Point being for 2000 years, for 4,000 years, if you date from monotheism, 2000 years, if you date from the birth of Jesus, The West has, with many failings, many shortcomings, the Crusades were bad, the Holocaust was bad, so many shortcomings. Nonetheless, the West had a commitment to, a covenant with the Judeo-Christian agreement with God, however you define God. And many places and institutions were consecrated to that idea in the West, you know, whether it was literally in California, you know, all the places, Santa Barbara, San Jose, San Rafael, named for saints, whether it was, you know, all over Western Europe, the building of cathedrals and nunneries where there had been pagan uh, uh, places of worship, um, the, the, or, or in Judaism, the kind of committing, recommitting to Yahweh after people constantly, and my people kept, you know, whoring after Baal, whoring after, you know, Asherah. Um, there was a, 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 an overt directedness toward, okay, we are going to try where we're, we fail, we mess up. We're going to try to follow Yahweh. We're going to try to follow the 10 commandments. And then we're going to try to follow Jesus. We're going to try to follow, you know, to respect Mary, whatever manifestation, you know, you as a Christian or as a Jew, take of the Judeo-Christian promise, there was a devotion 
to it even when our institutions were secularized. And what I mean is, when you have an orphanage that doesn't traffic kids, even if it's no longer a Christian orphanage, those are Judeo-Christian ideals. When you have a justice system that tries to give impartial justice, even if it's no longer devoted with the Ten Commandments at, over the door, it's still a Judeo-Christian institution. Well, so we benefited, right? Over the even even with the secularization of our society, that promise, that Judeo-Christian promise, undergirded everything. Well, I kind of feel like since 2020, you know, slowly, 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 we've been just giving up on our part of the covenant. You know, just giving up on it and and thinking it's not going to matter. God doesn't really need us. We don't really need God. We're fine. We have all our material possessions. Um, you know, and then we worship technology. We worship science. And I sort of feel like in 2020, God sort of said, okay, you want to do it yourselves. I'll this step is, back. This is, uh, well, we're going to drag you across the border into hour two, and we will uh, continue the conversation. Folks, I'm talking to Naomi Wolf. Don't go away. Folks, we resume the serious conversation that I was having with Naomi Wolf. Uh, And Naomi, um, you just made a statement which always triggers for me something that C.S. Lewis said. I don't know where he said it and who cares. But the point is he said there's some point at which uh, if we don't say to God, thy will be done, eventually he says to us effectively, okay, thy will be done. He he gives us over to ourselves, which is a nightmare, a hellish nightmare. And that's, again, that's baked into this thing we call reality. Uh, When we honor God, uh, 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 God uh, honors us and protects us, but but he, he never forces us. And you were saying that you felt... That in 2020 in particular, and I think 2020 is a, is, a, is a marker, but I think this has been happening for a long, long time. I mean, this is not something that just happened. But you, when you bring that up, part of what you're talking about, um, which I've been thinking about as, as you're talking, is the, the nature of time and history. In other words, there are times when things happen and then times when things don't happen. It's not just kind of like all one thing. And if you're looking at a biblical view of history, you, you realize that, you know, there, there are times that things happen. For some reason, God sent Jesus into the world at this time and in this place. Similarly, as I process what's happening in the world today, I realize, you know, I think many of us had forgotten that God is real and that he acts in history uh, and that really sick, insane things could happen because we've had it pretty, pretty good. And just as the Holocaust happened, um, we are living at a time where we're seeing extraordinary things. I, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that so we, you can continue. Right. Uh, well, yes. Um, I guess I'm feeling like it's a different world than it was in 2020. It feels different. And that 
one of the things kind of existentially to me that feels different is that I think we had the blessing of kind of the Judeo-Christian covenant over all of Western Europe and North America, kind of vestigially, like God was hanging on until 2020. And then, and then, you know, it, I just have this sense of like, we're not protected anymore. You know, there's a, it, there, there are cold winds coming in from the universe. Yeah. I'll get to that. No, no. And, I, and I, I kind of, and I kind of, um, I kind of, I, I agree with that. In other words, I think that you, you see those kinds of things, but again, it's not like, we're talking about flipping a switch. It's it's almost like you're right. you're drifting along and along and along, and eventually you pass that part in the river where right. you're getting sucked to the waterfall. And you you could have been swimming away, but you've right. allowed yourself to drift to that point. And so suddenly, boom! Now you're at that point, and you can feel the suction. And so I think that that's not. So, so it's not like the decision was made in in 2020. These decisions have been made incrementally over decades and centuries and stuff. And suddenly realize, oh, I guess it was real. Here we are. There's a there's a point of no return or whatever it is. I now I am generally, I'm sorry, uh, genuinely hopeful, even in the midst of this hell, because I think it is this hell that God in His mercy would use to wake us up, um, because we have been asleep. But We'll put that aside. I talk about that a lot, but please continue. Well, I hope you're right. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> but but there have been, I, I want to say this nicely, Christian history is shorter than Jewish history. And um, respectfully. <laughs> it's a fact. You know, it's a simple <laughs> fact. I can't be offended by that fact. Uh, well, the only place I'm going with that is I hope you're right, but I, I want to issue kind of a, an Old Testament prophet type warning that I sometimes think the Christian um, sense of hope and comfort may be a little um, dangerous because well, in the is, Old Testament- It is right. often naive. It is often Pollyanna. It is often unbiblical. It is often flat out wrong. And I am agreeing with you. You are quite right. There's no such thing as Old Testament. The point is it's either true or it's not. And what you're saying is simply true. Well, I guess what I I just want to say, let let me just stick to my own knowledge base. Um, I hope you're right. But also in the Old Testament, many times, like I keep thinking about God wanting a relationship with his people. And, you know, I'm including Christians now, of course. I I think all people are God's people, of course. But, you know, in the Old Testament, God, it's like a marriage and it's like an abusive marriage. But the people who are being abusive are us, right, to God. And God keeps coming back and coming back. But sometimes God acts like, you know, an abused, you know, woman who has been to an empowerment class or, you know, and says, okay, you know what, I'm done. You know, you be as abusive as you want, you know, and I will just. Well, he turns us over. And you, yes, you see the Babylonian captivity. You see that in all these cases that that is real. It's not just like no matter what you do, I'll be there for you. Because if you really respect someone, at some point you give them the freedom to say it's over. And and if we say that to God, God respects that. He made us in his image. He gives us free will. And so he says, if you, it's what C.S. Lewis said, you know, if, if you don't say to me, thy will be done, I will eventually say to you, okay, thy will be done. Go for it. Absolutely. I mean, some of the interims of waking up are hundreds of years in Babylonian captivity, Correct. right? As you Correct. The destruction of Jerusalem. And it's like in each time, like reading the Old Testament is so mind blowing because each time it's like, 
God said to Jeremiah, tell them they're messing up. You know, God said to Isaiah, tell them they're messing up. You know, and it's like God said to Noah, God said to Jonah. And and we just don't listen. Right. And and then, you know, there are no guarantees. Right. That that it won't be Sodom and Gomorrah. It won't be the Babylonian captivity. It won't be the destruction. That, of look, that is a fact. And, and that's why when you say, well, I hope we're going to I'm what I'm saying to you really is I agree with you completely. I only have the, the, the for reasons I maybe won't go into now, but, but I have glimmers of hope b- because you're seeing this, because right. uh, I, I, uh, I should send you a copy of my book, Letter to the American Church, because it's exactly about this, is, mm. is that sometimes God says, um, I, uh, I ought to abandon you, I ought to walk away, uh, but I will let things get so bad that maybe enough of you will wake up. If not, that's it's on you. But I, 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 I believe that things are so horrible now that it is conceivable that there are people waking up who would have been asleep forever. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope you're right. You may be right. God willing. And of course, having faith means you have to believe that this can be redeemed and that there is a redeemer. Um, that said, I do want to go a little bit into the personalities and these negative energies, if I may. That yeah, I, of course. I, like, of the, course. Yeah. The things that, so in my first attempt to speak about this shift, I, I saw in a Substack essay, I said, you know, like these years have made me think about God more literally because what's aiming, what's anti-God is so literal, you know, and, and it's had it, is it Satan, right? Is it evil? But I've given it more thought, and I think even the Western idea of Satan is too reductive, um, and and it's a very culturally specific uh, persona, right? And um, you know, for evil and very Miltonic, and you know, very involved in the Catholic Church. And again, God bless all those entities, but they're not the whole kind of um, ground of our emergence as a monotheistic um, stream uh, into sure. the universe, and. So going back, I, I keep being teased and and kind of engaged by this book by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn called Have the Gods Returned. And I, you know, I think a lot of things he says in that book are really intriguing. Respectfully, some of them are nonsense. Um, and I'm not going to I'm not saying I'm endorsing the book, but the title is very compelling to me, because then again, if you go back, it wasn't Satan for the most part. Right. In the Old Testament, it was these other negative powers. OK, these, I think this is not. You're not really. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not here to like uh, correct you. I'm really here to say that I think what you're saying is true, uh, and it's part of a larger conversation. Because I think when you th- when you talk about uh, these entities, uh, you know, Ashtaroth or or Baal or Baal or all of this kind of stuff, it, it is part of the the the, the satanic. Uh, pantheon uh and it is still so it's really all the same thing and it can be parsed in different ways and and stuff but ultimately i would say and i know jonathan Kahn would say it's it's exactly the same thing that's what he's talking about i mean i've had him on here to to talk about it uh so i don't i really don't think there's there's fundamental disagreement so go ahead go ahead that's fine i mean i guess i for me as a jewish jew as opposed to a messianic jew which i believe he is I raise this point because Satan to me 
is still kind of very much engaged with the Judeo-Christian God, whereas what's really intriguing to me about going back to the Old Testament and seeing the way that my people kept being kind of just like getting tired of the monotheistic project, getting tired of Yahweh and his demands and kind of going back to right. Asherah, going back right. to Baal, right. going back to Malach, is that I guess what I'm trying to say is what I feel in the world, whatever we call them, right, because the names are not important, I do feel like there are dark organizing forces right. now, right? Principalities and powers, if you like, maybe, you know, 2,000, 4,000 years ago, I should say, they were called Baal and Asherah and okay, Moloch. What, whatever they're Satan. called, we have to go to a break. And boy, uh, we're coming right back. Talking to Naomi Wolf. Naomi, uh, I'm tracking with everything you're saying, so uh, just keep going. Well, I mean, it's very preliminary and I'm very hesitant, but I guess what I'm trying to say is only dark metaphysical forces like the kind that my people kept worshiping at Yahweh's great frustration for, you know, 2000 years before the coming of Christ and, you know, forces that may have kind of reassembled under the banner of Satan after the coming of Christ, or, you know, that's the names that they were given. Only those to me and multiplicities of them, like personalities of them, energies of them, because they feel different, right? The the child eater feels one way. The encourager of the elderly to commit suicide feels another way, right? The lies and lies and lies feel another way. But, but these are all streaming over our world as if they've been unleashed from the bowels of hell, right? And they're, they're streaming over our world and reorganizing our institutions in mirror images of the institutions based on Judeo-Christian values values that had organized them up until 2020. And they're doing it at a speed and with a complexity that human analysis and human effort cannot account for. And that's what I want to say. Beyond that, I don't know. But I think there's something very important there to understand. And honestly, I think the only way to get those energies back in, you know, behind the gates of hell is to rededicate ourselves to, you know, living out what God, however we define I don't, you know, uh, other than quibbling uh, with 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 little things, uh, I, I agree completely with with what you're saying. I think that uh, it's simply true, uh, and how one processes it uh, is, you know, it's 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 complicated because I think we're talking about things that are for some people. I mean, the reason I wrote my book is atheism dead is just to say to some people, listen, kids, uh, you can no longer take the idea that there is nothing beyond the, the material world. You, can, you, you should no longer take that seriously. So you can right. believe what you want to believe, but right. that is off the table just like is the earth flat or is fear? That's, we're done. We don't discuss that anymore. And I think – and then from there you proceed to, okay, well, if there is a, a God who created the universe and uh, what, what, what can I make of it? Is this God a personal God or so on and so forth? So, you know, there's, there's a lot to process. But what you're talking about, um, I think that there is no question – that a lot of good people like you are are beginning to see this because there it is. It's it it was yeah. easy to ignore, um, but something has happened where it has become more explicit. Uh, the darkness has become so dark that people who 
who just kind of batted it away or forced to pay attention because it's affecting their children and it's affecting mm-hmm. things. And, and so to, to some extent, as, as I was saying, I, I can be very, very slightly hopeful in the sense that I think that that's sometimes how God has woken his people up is to let right. things get so bad that finally they, they see, you know. But I also want to affirm uh, what you were saying in that, you know, if things don't get better, our job is still to do the right thing and to praise God and to, and, and to worship God and know that ultimately he wins and truth wins. Truth can't lose. Uh, God stacked the deck. The house always wins. He invented the universe. He is truth. And there's no way around that. Uh, how many battles you lose, how many wars you lose, you know, so, um, so it's a little complicated. But it's just fascinating to me that you're seeing the personal aspect of this. When I say the personal, I mean that the way evil aligns itself or is aligning itself, you kind of look around and you go, this is, this is different. There's something right. happening that's different, which also gets to a biblical view. I can't remember which book it was or several books, but when we talk about like the Jewish uh, biblical idea of time as not being <laughs> cyclical, but as being linear, right? It's not, you know, the myth of the eternal return. It's the same thing over and over and over. And over. No, no, no. The, 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 the Jews said, no, the world started here and God enters history here and here and here and here. And it's a, it's a different view. And if you subscribe to the biblical view of history, um, you, you realize that, yes, there are times when this happens and there are times when right. this happens and there are times when that doesn't happen. And, you know, when you talk about the, the horror of the Babylonian captivity of all of these things. I mean, the destruction of Jerusalem, which I didn't really know myself in depth until huh, I read Josephus as I was writing my book, Is Atheism Dead? I thought, this is just as horrible as anything I've ever read in my life. And it happened, right. you know, less than 2,000 years ago. And it happened, and God allowed it to happen. And that's the really <laughs> difficult piece. God allowed that to happen. Um, which is just kind of tracking with some of what you're saying that he 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 allows us to 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 if we want to push him away he lets us which is yeah, scary exactly. which is very scary yeah and and then in that state and i just feel it all around me you know other other things that don't love us come into the room you know they they like on the planet i i just I think you have to be asleep not to feel the presence of powerful forces that don't love human beings on the planet now in a way that they didn't used to be. That don't love human beings. But isn't that interesting? Because even when you talk about loving human beings, even that's a biblical idea. I don't mean the love, but the idea that that if we were just concatenations of atoms or whatever, then what is a person? A person really is nothing. But the biblical view is, uh, no, no, no. Human beings are made in the image of God. They are sacred. And to hate God is to hate those who are made in his image, particularly to hate them, to be anti-human. We'll be back. Final segment with Naomi Wolf. Don't go away. If you change your mind 
Final segment with Naomi Wolf. Naomi, we're having a freewheeling conversation. I think you would call it a conversation, which is delightful. That we don't, there's no agenda here, um, and we're trying to process things, and uh, th- that's vital. Uh, and there's very little of that that tends to go on. So I'm grateful to you, very grateful to you for for being willing to try to uh, think this through with us. Uh, have you written about? what you're talking about right now on your Substack? Well, this is why I'm so grateful to you, Eric, um, and why I appreciate you so much is that I'm scared to, and this is the first time I've spoken about it in in depth, the way I'm thinking about it, you know, in my mind. Yeah. And the reason I have a comfort level talking to you and after this conversation, I'll no doubt be courageous enough to start writing is that you're educated the way I am. And, and there's like, I can't think of anyone else who had a similar kind of background and kind of educational indoctrination to me, who's willing to have this conversation in depth. And it helps me because I, I am so afraid, um, that to just venture into naming what I'm seeing you know, is going yeah. to put me outside the pale in yet another. Well, well not but let me, but, but let, let me let me encourage you, Naomi, because what happened to me when I had my dramatic conversion at age twenty-five? What shocked me the most was how many people I discovered who were brilliant, educated geniuses who w- believed in God, believed in the Bible, and were very advanced in that stuff. And I thought they've all been kept from me. I've never heard of them. Uh, I didn't know that such people existed, I assume. And it's so fascinating to me uh, how that's just happened more and more over the years. I just did a uh, a Socrates in the City event, which we premiered uh, a couple nights ago with Dr. James Tour. I write about him in my book, Is Atheism Dead? Easily one of the top scientists on planet Earth, without any question, and a nanoscientist, super genius. Um, but, uh, he, he's someone who, uh, is a man of profound faith. And I thought, where, where have these people been hiding? But right. that's only one level of the deception and confusion is that, you know, we, you and I live in a world where everybody pretends that all these things are true that aren't true. Uh, right. the fact when you, when you talk at the beginning of this conversation about how, how at, uh, dailyclout.io, you, you know, you're publishing, real things that ought to be world headlines. The New York Times ought to be all over this. They ought to be hiring extra reporters to cover this. Crickets, not one word. And that's, we're only talking about vaccines. We're not talking about spiritual things. That's, you know, if, I'm just saying, if you want, if you want evidence that, that, uh, you know, the race of, of humankind is fallen. I mean, the idea that they wouldn't cover that kind of stuff or wouldn't even try is, is shocking. It's also in alignment with what we were speaking of before the break, because, um, you know, the fact that we've uncovered this uh, this assassination plot against humanity, basically, and, you know, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is not drawing an immediate halt. The American Medical Association, you know, the New York Times, as you say, not covering it. It's all part of that not caring about humans contract that our institutions have now engaged 
in and are committed to and is But I will demonic. tell you, but I, just to give you pushback, they would claim, no, you don't understand. We, of course, we care about people. It's just we process it differently. I mean, look, it's when somebody says it, it, it's kind of like if somebody's convinced Donald Trump is Hitler 2.0. They're like, you don't understand. I know that that's true. So anything he does or says or gets behind, I'm against it. And I will throw away the rules just because I know that this is true. There are people who would say that about whether it's the vaccines or whatever. They, they're, they're processing this differently. They're still guilty. But what I'm saying I mean, is that they don't yeah. – half of them don't really understand the implication. Many of them don't understand the implications. And you're, you're trying to draw out some of those implications. I guess that's how I see it. I mean respectfully, Eric um, – I have to I have to disagree. I know I do because uh, these reports, which are public now, yeah. are written by scientists and medical professionals in scientific and medical language using primary source documents that were released under court order that were in the custody of the FDA. So literally, and again, you and I were educated similarly, literally this is the language that the New York Times and the CDC and the AMA is supposed to speak. It is it is in their language. There's no way to wish it away. But but to pivot from that, you know, because I they, they're, they're choosing, it's more like, What's that famous quote that, um, you know, men are very ingenious at finding ways to not understand something that takes away their income, right? Oh. It, you know, these people are complicit in a massive massacre and that's not over yet of millions and millions, if not hundreds of millions of people and, and unborn generations. So they're not going to look until they're forced to look. But leaving right. that aside, right. what to return to what we were talking about, and I, I, I want to kind of say, you know, I, I apologize if I was a little too harsh or sweeping with uh, parts of Doctor of, of uh, uh, Pastor Khan's book because many of the things he says are very valuable. I'd like to debate him sometime about some of the things I find concerning or more difficult to to credit. But I guess what I think he's a genius in doing, and what I want to c- communicate above all to the people listening is. What he conveys and what is so haunting to me is what the world felt like before Yahweh and Jesus entered it. You know, what the, how lonely and sad and hopeless and desperate. But, but and isn't sadistic. that the point, Naomi, is that it's only because we've been so blessed that we don't understand how bad things could be. And so we kind of exactly. think, oh, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. My 401k goes right. this way. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Satanic evil ruled the world. Uh, exactly. There was torture and slavery and, and things, levels of cruelty. We've forgotten all about that. And if you're not aware of that, you're not grateful for being delivered from it, which is effectively uh, the story of the West. We've largely exactly. been moving in the right. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's yeah. the precious. That's such a precious thing, because um, there was a time when humans didn't have anyone to care about them or didn't know that they did and and didn't understand that that relationship involved behaving in a certain way. And we we have kind of let it be lost in the midst of time. And, you know, even in, in Judaism, when I was, you know, taught about uh, other gods in, in Sunday school or Hebrew school, it was like, oh, those were superstitions. Those were just stone yeah, idols. Yeah. They didn't know what they were doing. Well, maybe they did know what they were doing, and oh those were God. bad energies. You know, it was I want to get – do, do you have another four minutes, or I think you have to go? You've got to go. You've I've got, got four. four. Okay. Go. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I know 
final few minutes with Naomi Wolf. Naomi, you, it's kind of funny, like, when you, you use phrases like bad energies. It's like that's the way we put this kind of stuff. But, you know, in the past, I mean, we're not talking – when we're talking about malevolent forces, like satanic entities, thrones, principalities, dominions, it's so dark and sick. We're not talking about Zeus and Aphrodite. Or we're, we're talking about uh, ancient gods, small g, that are at war with the God of the Bible. Uh, and I think we were talking before about how we've had it so good, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not just in the West over the centuries, but in our lifetimes, that it's very hard for us to process that how bad things could get if God removes his hand. And that that's, you know, I want to get you Absolutely. here in the studio so yeah. we can continue the conversation because this is kind of important yeah. stuff. It is. It is. Absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting in the story of the West, we, you know, this notion that human beings matter, human life matters, humans have free will and dignity. We've conflated that with the human project, but it really started out as the Judeo-Christian project and, and God's project. And, and we've literally forgotten that our founders knew it, you know, even though they, they, it created a, a, a society with freedom of worship. They recognize that our inalienable rights come from God and that there are ways that we're supposed to behave as free people to keep up our side of this. And they also said, I was just reading a quote from one of the Puritan um, ministers basically saying, we're blessed now, but watch out if we ever drop our covenant, you know, our side of the covenant, we will not have the blessing of God. And um, it just seems like it's kind of a really important time to remember that this covenant goes both ways. Oh, in yeah. my view. No, no, it, in your view, in, in the view of, you know, those who care about reality, it does go both ways. It's kind of funny. I just uh, had a, a Socrates and City conversation with uh, Oz Guinness, who has written a lot about this uh, and who talked about um, how the Sinai covenant, I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, 35 centuries ago, how that was the uh, first example of what we see coming into history in 1776. And it's an amazing thing how uh, most people uh, really never make that connection. And he makes it explicitly and explains it, and he's brilliant. And I thought, you know, I've not, I've even, even I haven't heard that when you think of antecedents of the United States of America and how the founders – all understood this. That's what I find so funny is that all of the founders, not just a few, they all understood this concept, this model. Uh, and we as a culture sort of understood it for a long time. And clearly now we forgot it and we either remember it really quickly or it's over. So, um, but that's so interesting that you're talking about the covenant and the fact that it cuts both ways. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say that I, I talk about this a lot as I'm tra- traveling. I'm kind of talking about this. In fact, the book that uh, I want to give you a copy of, which is called Letter to the American Church, I was originally going to title it Faith Without Works is Dead, which is in oh, okay. the New Testament, uh, where James is making clear, like, yeah, 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 faith is important. But by the way, if you are not living out your faith, it's obvious you actually don't have faith and who, who you think you're fooling God or the devil or what, like, what, what, what does it mean to have faith and not to live it out? So um, anyway, Naomi, you've just uh, got to promise to continue the conversation, whether this way or here in the studio, because first of all, it's delightful and important. And, and, and secondly, um, it would be, it would be, uh, I, I think um, 
I think we just have so much else to talk about. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for your work. And I want to direct people to go to dailyclout.io to read your substack and uh, to be continued. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. Thanks so much. So good to talk to you. Just all right.